0: good morning Honey Ridge family uh, greetings in the wonderful name of our lord and savior jesus christ what a great joy it should be for us today to come and worship our god together uh, this morning although we cannot meet together yet and although we are only meeting individually and as families this morning I do trust that the Lord is pleased with us as we set time aside to to uh, come and worship Him, as we set time aside to read His Word, as we come to uh, sing praises to His name, as we seek His face in prayer. I trust that the Lord is pleased with us uh, this morning. And may He also be pleased with us as we sit under the preaching of the Word. And not just to hear the Word being expounded, but to respond with faith and obedience this morning. To, to be hearers of the Word, but also doers. And so I do trust that the Lord will be pleased with us this morning as we come to worship. Now as you would know, as was mentioned last week, and as we started off last week, we are in a series where we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation. And how these seven churches really speak to the universal church and help and guide us in knowing how to be a church that is healthy and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And this morning we'll be looking at the first church, and that is the church in Ephesus. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me as I read this section for us. Revelation chapter 2, verse one to seven. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. And so here is God's word. Let's hear it, and let us respond with faith and obedience. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, "The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance." And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Only so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank You that we can take time and, and focus in upon Your Word. We do pray, dear Lord, that as we've read Your Word and as we expectantly wait for it to be expounded, we pray that You'd work in our hearts. We pray, dear Lord, that we would value Your Word and treasure all that You have to teach us. And dear Lord, this morning, that You'd work in our hearts through Your Holy Spirit so that we would be a people who who walk uprightly before you, a people pleasing in your sight, a church that truly is healthy in every regard, a church that is glorifying you in all that it says, thinks, and does. And so help us, we pray in this. We, We confess our weakness, we confess our failures, we confess our deep need of you this morning. And so we pray, dear Lord, help us this morning. Help us to see and understand your word. Help us to be affected and to live effective lives for your glory. We pray all of this in the name that is above every other name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you've been at that place where Christ and your relationship with him seems insignificant. I'm sure you've been at a place where where God and the things of God have lost something of their importance. Maybe you're no longer longer, uh, keeping to your devotions to prayer and reading. Maybe you're just going through the religious motions and just ticking boxes. Maybe you've lost the joy and excitement that you once had for the things of God. Maybe you've stopped thinking about and speaking about the gospel of God. Maybe you've lost interest in the in the church and the people of God. Maybe you're no longer involved in ministry as you once were. Maybe you've become focused too much on worldly matters, whether it's sports or hobbies or entertainment. Maybe you're not as concerned about sin as you once were. I'm sure we've all been in that, in that place where our relationship with God in Christ has become less intimate less personal, less important. I'm sure we've all been in that place where our first love has been abandoned, where our first love has been forgotten, where our love for Christ has grown cold. Who here hasn't gone through a season like that? Uh, I think we all have. I know I have. But see, the real question for us this morning to ask is this. Are we okay with our first love being abandoned? Are we content with our first love growing cold? Are we comfortable with a lack of love for Christ and the things of God? We might think to ourselves, well, it's normal. It's to be expected. It is. It happens in the Christian life. We might think to ourselves, well, I've believed, uh, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and therefore we think, well, I'm okay. And so we become comfortable with our Christianity. We become content with our present condition. Uh, Beloved, dear saint of God, what I hope to show you today is that Jesus is not comfortable with where you are at. Jesus is not content with our present condition. Jesus is not okay with it when our first love has been forgotten. See, in Revelation 2, we see that Jesus writes this letter to the Ephesian church when He essentially calls upon them to return to their first love. And realize, this is no small matter. No, it's quite serious. At the end of verse 5, Jesus says that if the church does not repent and return to its first love then He will come and take the lampstand away from its place. Which is another way of saying, as Matthew Henry said, He will unchurch them. He will remove them from being His people. See, Jesus is writing to a church that has lost something. Something so important, so vital, that if they do not regain it, they will be lost. And what is it that they've lost? Well, it's their first love. They've lost their love for God and their love for Christ. Remember, uh, the Apostle John who writes this also writes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to and 10. And, and remember what he says there. He says, whoever love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who, who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In verse 19 He says that we love because He first loved us. See, one of the clear fruit of being born again is a love for God, and by implication, a love for others. But if we do not love, if we no longer are marked by this central love for God, then it calls into question whether or not we are truly born again. It calls into question whether or not we belong in the church. Now, as with all the warnings of Scripture, I believe this warning is given to exhort true believers to greater perseverance. In fact, I believe this passage is calling us to fight for our first love. And notice what it says in verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. See that phrase, the one who conquers, uh, not only speaks of perseverance in the faith, but it presupposes a fight. It assumes a, a fighting spirit that strives to overcome, that strives to conquer. See, if you are a Christian, you need to know that you are involved in a fight. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of eternal life. in a sense that's what jesus is saying here he's saying fight for your first love and take hold of eternal life see the christian is called to fight for his or her first love which is a love for christ the, the the god who has saved us from our sin called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and so this morning i want us to focus on this theme of fighting for our first love fighting for for that thing which we sometimes lose sight of and so as we consider this theme together i want to ask three questions the first question is this where is this fight to be fought where is this fight fought we need to recognize a few things about the ephesian church Uh, the ephesian church had a strong and prestigious christian heritage in Acts 18, we see that they were exposed to the preaching of Apollos. In Acts 19, they sat under the ministry of Paul. In First Timothy and Second Timothy, we see that they were influenced and ministered to by Timothy. And tradition even tells us that the Apostle John himself ministered in Ephesus. See, this is a church that enjoyed many blessings. They sat under sound teachers. They had a strong Christian heritage. They had seen God at work in their midst through holy men. But not only was this a prestigious church, this was a a zealous church. We see that they were zealous for good works. Verse 2 says, Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. See, this is no lazy church. No, this is a hard-working church. This is a church that is active in ministry. But not only are they zealous in good works, they are zealous uh, for the truth. Verse 2 carries on, and says, You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. See, this is no doctrinally shallow church. No, this is a theologically sound church. This is a discerning church. This is a church that cares for the truth. We are even told that they hated false teaching. He says, you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I too hate. See, this is a church that is zealous for the truth. But what is more, they're not just zealous for good works and zealous for the truth, but they're zealous for Jesus' name. In verse 3, Jesus repeats all that he's said so far, but he reveals their motives. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. See, this is a church who is motivated in all that it does for the honor of Christ, for the glory of Christ. This is a Christ-focused church. See, by all accounts, this is a good church. They had a strong Christian heritage. They were hardworking. They were doctrinally sound. They were Christ-focused. But what's the problem? Well, the problem is their first love has been abandoned. They were no longer motivated by that love for Christ. And it's not that they stopped loving Christ. No, they loved Christ. They, They suffered many afflictions for the name of Christ. But the real issue is this. Their love for Christ became overshadowed. Their love for Christ was not as strong and fervent as it once was. Their love for Christ has been weakened by other loves. The love for Christ was was no longer central to their motives. It was no longer the central driving force behind all that they did. See, if from the heart flow the springs of life, as Proverbs 4.23 says, then it is the case that their hearts were no longer consumed solely by a love for Christ. It seems that they they loved ministry, they loved theology, they loved the honor of Christ more than they loved Christ. And believe me, beloved, that can happen. You can easily be involved with the things of Christ and yet still lose sight of Christ. And so therefore we need to fight for our first love. We need to fight for that love for Christ that that will remain preeminent in our lives, preeminent in our motives. And and where is this fight to be fought? It is to be fought in the heart. It is to be fought in the heart. You could say it this way that uh, to tie into what Clinton said last week. uh, Their head buckets were full, but their heart bucket was empty. They, they were driven by good sound theology, yet they, their heart became empty and cold. Another way to say that is this, their heads were full, their hands were active, but their hearts were cold. And so what we need to see that the fight actually is to be fought in the heart. Or more specifically, this fight is to be fought in the affections. It's to be fought in the affections. Now you might be asking, what are the affections? Well, the affections are the inclinations of the soul. They are the desires of the heart. Uh, One author has said it this way. Affections are the feet of the soul. They are what carry us to something and away from something. Uh, Paul Tripp said it this way. He says, you and I are always desiring. Desire precedes and determines and characterizes everything we do. At the foundation of all we do, whether right or wrong, is a heart full of desire, or we would say a heart full of affections. See, once this Ephesian church was on fire for Christ, their hearts and minds were captivated by Christ, they desired him above all else, but now that flame has died down. Their hearts were no longer set upon Christ alone. They desired other things. Their affections for Christ grew cold. See, despite all that was good about them, despite their strong heritage, despite their good works, despite their sound doctrine, despite their zeal for Christ, Christ is displeased with them because their affections for Christ were abandoned. Their heart's desire for Christ was, was, was displaced. And see, beloved, this is where the battleground is. This is where the fight is to be fought. Your affections, the desires of your heart. See, understand this. You can be exposed to the greatest teachers. You can be involved in the greatest works within the church. You can be the greatest defender of orthodoxy. But if your affections are lost, you will be lost. If your affections for Christ are abandoned, Jesus warns you, you will be abandoned. Beloved, this is where the fight is. And this is what Christ cares for. Your affections, the desires of your heart. Listen to John Owen on this. The Puritans, uh, more than many other groups, understood uh, how affections work and how important the affections are. And John Owen says this. He says, the greatest contest in heaven and earth is for the affections of the poor worm we call man. Now, why are the affections so important? Well, listen to what he says. He says, our affections are upon the matter are all. They are all we have to give. They are the only power of our souls whereby we may give away ourselves and become another's. Therefore, to whoever you give your affections, we give ourselves. Ourselves in all that we have. And to whoever we do not give our affections, no matter what we give, we do not give ourselves. See, Owen draws out some of the implications for this for the life of the church. He says, whatever we do in the service of God, whatever duty we perform to His commands, whatever we undergo or suffer for His namesake, if it proceeds not from the cleaving of the soul to Him in our affections, it is despised by Him and He owns us not. See, what matters, beloved, is our affections. What Christ is concerned for is the desires of your heart. And so let me ask you this morning, where are your affections? Where have you placed the desires of your heart? Could it perhaps be that we have ceded ground to the enemies of our souls? Could it be that the battleground of our affection has been overrun by enemies? The enemies of sin and worldliness and the idols of comfort and control. Have we, like this Ephesian church, abandoned our first love? Have we been so consumed with the things of God that we've missed the Son of God? Beloved, understand this. Whoever has your affections has you. And so Christ is concerned for your affections. This is where the battleground is. This is where this fight is to be fought. But the second question I want to ask this morning is, how is this fight fought? How do we fight this battle? Now, after Jesus rebukes the Ephesian church for their abandoned love, He gives them guidance on how they can return to their first love. He he gives them and us instructions on how to fight this fight. And there are four essential elements to fighting this fight. And you can remember them by the four R's. uh, Remember, repent, return, and rely. Firstly, we are called to remember. Verse 5 says, remember from where you have fallen. See, when our first love grows cold, there is often a strange forgetfulness when it comes to the things of God. And the first step, therefore, to revive our first love, the first step to fighting this fight, is to remember what we once enjoyed. Remember, again, when God saved you. Remember how you were captivated by the love of God. Remember how precious Christ and His sacrifice was to your heart. Remember, again, the peace and joy that you once felt. And see, the purpose of this remembrance isn't just to think back to the good old days. No, it's to think on God. It's to remember Him. To think on His love and His patience and His protection to, to think on how he has been gracious to you again and again. See, this remembrance is how the saints of old uh, revived themselves or were refreshed. I uh, Consider as an example, Psalm 42. Uh, there the psalmist, his soul is cast down. And what does he do? Where does he turn? When he says in verse 6 of Psalm 42, he says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Or consider Psalm 77, when the writer is anxious and fearful, when his heart is in turmoil, so much so that he cannot even sleep. What does he do? He says in verse 11 to 13, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? See, it's, it's as his mind is stayed upon God, that his love for God is refreshed. And see, that's why in Deuteronomy, God calls upon his people to not forget. To, to, to remember what he's done, lest they turn away from him and fall away. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9, God says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 19, he says, If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. you see how God is concerned for the affections of his people? And he calls upon them to remember and not forget. And see what the scriptures are calling us to and what Jesus is calling us to here in Revelation 2 is a spiritual mindedness, a spiritual remembrance that never lose sight of God's grace. It's interesting that that verb for remember is in the present imperative. And that simply means that we're not called to remember every now and then, but we're called to continually remember. We're called to be a people who, who never lose sight of God, who never forget all that he's done, who who, who continually set their affections on him, who every brave, every day bring to remembrance how gracious he has been. Do you know another way to say that? Another way to say that is to say we ought to call we are called to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That's how we fight for our first love. We, we bring to remembrance all that God has done in, sa- in His saving grace, in the power of God that has saved wretched sinners like us. We bring that to remembrance so that our affections again would be set upon Christ, so that we would desire Him more and more. That's how we fight for our first love. We remember all that God has done. But secondly, we fight this fight also by Repentance repentance. In verse 5, Jesus simply says, repent. In, In essence, all sin is about loving something more than God. And so, when we allow our first love to grow cold, we must repent. We need to understand this. Allowing our first love to grow cold is a serious sin. Allowing something else to become more lovely to us than Christ is no small matter. It grieves Christ It tramples upon His grace. It shows contempt for His sacrifice. It disregards His plans for us. And therefore, it requires of us repentance. And beloved, we know that repentance is more than just a recognition of our sin. It's more than just a a remorse over our sin. It's also a repudiation of that sin and a reformation of our lives away from that sin. See, to fight for our first love, we cannot leave sin to have its way. We cannot leave sinful affections to influence us. No, part of fighting for our first love is repenting of all competing loves and putting those other loves to death. See, sinful affections aren't like leaves that just fall off the tree. No, they are, they are weeds that entangle and, 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 and choke the life out of us. And therefore, they need to be removed. They need to be put to death. Consider what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, all of those touch on the affections. They touch on the state of our heart. And Paul is saying we must put to death those sinful affections. So you cannot maintain a love for Christ and still maintain your sinful affections to to draw you away from Christ. No, we need to turn from repent of and put to death those sinful affections that want to rob us of the joy we have in Christ. And so we need to repent. Thirdly, we must not just uh, remember and repent, but we must return. That is to say, we must return to doing the things we did at first. In verse 5, uh, the Apostle John says, Repent and do the works you did at first. Now, what works is Jesus according to? Well, my my best bet is this. He's calling us to return to the basics. He's calling us to to return to to the basics of the faith and growing in the faith. See, this was a church that that labored hard in performing good works, a church that excelled in the study and propagation of sound doctrine, a church that bore witness to Christ. It, It seems to me that amidst all of this activity, they had forgotten to stop and do the basics. And what are the basics? Well, it's essentially growing in your knowledge and relationship with Christ. And how do you grow that knowledge? How do you grow that relationship? Well, it's through the simple and ordinary means of reading and meditating upon the Word. It's through the intentional, heart-searching prayers offered to God. And it's in the fellowship of the saints. And realize, beloved, this is something we must fight for. We must fight to return again and again to the basics. We must fight to to make time for God's Word. We must fight to make time for for focused prayer. We must fight for time with God's people. Why? Because it's in these simple and ordinary means through which our relationship with Christ is is built up and, and, and strengthened. See, it's easy for us to neglect these basics. It's easy for us to be taken captive by our work and our family and our hobbies and even ministry, so so much so that our devotional time with Christ loses out. So much so that our, our, our devotional relationship with Christ suffers. And so therefore, it's important to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to grow in our relationship with Christ. And that relationship is one that ought to be prioritized, preserved, and provided for through the simple and ordinary means of the Word and prayer and church. And so let us return to those basics if we are to return to our first love. Now there's a fourth element of fighting for this first love. It's not explicit in our text, but it's implicit. But I think it's an essential point, and that is this. We must rely Uh, Rely upon what for who? For what? Uh, uh, We're called to rely upon the Spirit. Uh, Verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, this verse speaks of the continuous activity of the Spirit in the life of the church. And it is a call to to pay attention to what the Spirit says. Uh, Let's remember that we are all by nature dead in our sin. We are all by nature blind and deaf to the things of God. It was the Spirit who regenerated us. It's the Spirit who who opens the eyes of our hearts to see. And guess what? We are still reliant upon the Spirit. It's the Spirit that convicts us of sin. It's the Spirit that that puts sin to death within us. It's the Spirit that, that revives our affections. And therefore we need to rely upon the Spirit. And see, the good news, beloved, is this, in this fight for your first love, you do not fight alone. No, God has given His Holy Spirit as a helper to carry you and strengthen you. But in this fight for your first love, you need to walk in and live by in in step with the Spirit. And how precisely do we do that? Well, we, we walk in step with the Spirit by faith in the finished work of the Son, by prayer wherein we yield ourselves to the power of God and to the will of God, by obedience to do what He has commanded us, and by thanksgiving as we praise Him for all that He has done and can do and will do. See, all in all, this is how we fight for our first love. This is how we retain and return to that first love. We remember the gospel daily. We repent of those worldly and earthly affections. We return to the basics of God's word and prayer and fellowship. And we rely upon the Spirit to lead us and guide us in this fight. And beloved, may we be a church who who returns to our first love. Who are not content with uh, letting our first love grow cold but rather with great zeal keep our eyes fixed upon the gospel as we repent of worldly affections, as we return to the joyful means of grace like the word and prayer, as we rely upon the Spirit. And so that's how we return to our first love. Now as I conclude, let's consider the last question this morning, and that is this, why is this fight to be fought? Why go about fighting for your first love? Why exert all this energy and all this effort to return to your first love? Why endure the hardships and difficulties of this fight? Well, there are a few reasons we could give for this, but let me give you two reasons from our text. The first reason to fight for this, to fight for your first love, is we fight this fight for Christ. We fight this fight for Christ. Look at the description given of us, of Christ in verse 1. It says that to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, now, Jesus gives two descriptions there of himself. Uh, The first description really speaks of his abiding protection of the church. Uh, This picture of, of his right hand holding the seven stars points to him powerfully keeping the church safe. It should make us think of Jesus' promise in John 10, 28, when he speaks of his sheep, he says, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus uh, abides with the church, and he protects the church. Not just that, we see the the description of, of Christ's abiding presence in the church. The picture of Christ walking among the lampstands points us to the fact that he's with the church, watching over the church and caring for the church. Again, this should make us think of that other promise in Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And see, these descriptions point out for us the love and care that Christ has for the church. He, he protects the church. He is with the church, he, he guards the church, he, he has a concern for the church. Now, why does he have this concern? Why does he care? Why this concern? Well, because he loves the church. Because he has given his life for the church. In 1 John three sixteen, 16, we, we are told, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. See, the one calling us to return to our first love is the one who first loved us. In love he, he purchased us with his precious blood, and in love he protects us. In love he's present with his people. And it is this love of Christ that should motivate this fight. It is this love of Christ that should stir our affections again for Christ. Uh, One sort of a, 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 fict- a fictitious story of a king uh, who, who asked his three daughters a question. He, he asked them, how much do you love me? The first daughter said, well, Dad, I, I love you more than gold. And the second daughter said, well, Dad, I love you more than silver. But the third daughter came and said, well, Dad, I, I love you more than salt. And the dad was quite understandably upset, like, salt? You love me more than salt? Well, that doesn't seem like much. Yet the cook overheard that, uh, that interaction and that evening the cook, the cook took out all the salt from the meals and, and presented it to the king. And, and all the meals were, were essentially horrible. They didn't taste good. And then the, the, the king understood the, the wisdom and the value of his third daughter's answer. See, uh, the king understood that without salt nothing is good. And see, she loved him so much so that nothing else was good without him. Oh, beloved, without Christ and without a love for Christ, nothing else is good. Nothing else matters. You can have a great Christian heritage. You can have a great reputation for good works. You can have a head full full of, of sound theology. But if you do not have a love for Christ, a, a love that trumps all other loves, then you have nothing. Then nothing else is good. And so we need to fight for our first love in order to have Christ, to have the one who has first loved us. That's why we fight. That's why we give ourselves to this difficult task of fighting for our first love. I Consider this old hymn by Alfred Ho, The One Altogether Lovely. He says there, How lovely is Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, to win a world's pardon and, uh, by sorrow and pain. How lovely that crown on his one bleeding brow and how lovely his love that is overshadowing me now. He is the one altogether lovely. He is all that the soul can crave. He is the one altogether lovely, Jesus, mighty to save. Oh, how lovely, surpassing all loveliness he who died for the thief for a lost world and me that I might be perfected here by his love and meeting with white robes in heaven above. He is the one altogether lovely. He is all that the soul can crave. He is the altogether lovely one, Jesus, mighty to save. So we need to fight for our first love because of Christ being the one who is altogether lovely. We fight for our first love because we love Christ who first loved us. And so we need to fight this fight for Christ. But secondly, we need to fight this fight for life. For life in verse 7, we see what's at stake in this fight. It says there, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is to say, the one who fights this fight, the one who, who keeps his first love, he or she will take hold of eternal life. He or she will be satisfied with everlasting life in the presence of God. But the implication is also that if you do not fight for your first love, if you allow your love to be overshadowed by other loves, if you do not keep your love for Christ as of first importance, if you give yourself to other lovers, then not only will you lose out on the love of God, but you will lose out on eternal life and you'll be left with eternal death. So the promise of eternal life is given to those who conquer, those who overcome, those who fight for their first love. Now that's not to say that we earn our salvation by this fight. No, Jesus says in John 6, 47, whoever believes has eternal life. See, eternal life is a free gift given by God through faith, And that faith is proved to be genuine when it gives itself to this fight. And so the question, beloved, is this. Are you fighting for your first love? Or has your love been captured by other lovers? Are you fighting to keep your love for Christ intact? Or has that love been overshadowed and dissipated by the love of this world and the love for sin and the love for self? The church of God, let us not be content with our first love growing cold. Let us not be satisfied with our love for Christ being forgotten. Rather, let us fight this fight for our first love so that we get Christ and live everlastingly with Him. May the Lord bless the preaching of the word to our hearts and revive our first love again for Himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would forgive us for the many ways in which we allow our love to grow cold. Whether it's through this world, whether it's through sin, whether it's through uh, worldly entertainment or hobbies, whether it's even through busyness in ministry. We pray that you would forgive us. We pray that we would not neglect the great salvation that has been purchased for us in your Son rather that we would cling to Christ again and again with with fervent, wholehearted love. Help us, dear Lord, to be a church who is not just uh, sound theologically, but filled with a love for Christ. Help us to have a, a bucket that is full of love given in sacrifice to Christ. And dear Lord, we come and confess our need of you, and we pray that through the Spirit you'd work in our midst, and help us to be a a church that is marked by this first love for Christ, that carries us in all that we say, all that we do, for your glory and your kingdom in this place. And so help us, we pray, and move in our midst, and revive us, we ask, in the name that is above every other name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.